that the community has identified as needing just some uh, help with it, some uh, lawn stuff, but also some repairs inside, all those kinds of things. And, uh, and Jason Smith, who's in our tech booth back there, is looking for a couple of more volunteers to help with that. So if that's something that you want to be part of, wherever you live, whether you're in St. John's, Langsburg, uh, Ovid, uh, Lansing, uh, whatever, that's cool. But especially if you're in DeWitt, what a great way to serve in your own community. So 8 a.m., uh, take a few hours, you give what you can to it in terms of your time. If you you're interested when you head out these doors right here there's an event kiosk and you can sign up there or you can just because because jason literally is in a cage he can't get out back there you can just grab him before he leaves and tell him you want to be part of it he'll give you details on that sunday then the 26th we've got a couple of big things coming one is our uh, welcome lunch. If you're brand new to North Point, if this morning is your first morning ever being with us, we're so glad you're here. You went by a lot of churches in order to get here. We appreciate you making this kind of your destination. and We hope that you have an opportunity to worship Christ in an amazing way this morning. Um, but this next Sunday, we'd like to invite you. And if you've been around at North Point for a few weeks or a few months, we'd like to invite you also to come and let us feed you. All right, welcome lunch right after our second service, right after this one, about 12.15-ish. It'll be done by 2 o'clock, and just an awesome opportunity for us to get to know you, for you to get to know North Point in a pretty casual environment. Um, if you have little ones, we will care for them. Just register and let us know. And uh, if you have older kids, they can hang with you. It's fun enough that, you know, it's cool. They'll eat and we'll laugh, and it'll be wonderful and lovely, and there's lots of chocolate on the table, so I promise they will be completely entertained the whole time. So that's Sunday. Sunday afternoon, and then Sunday evening, we did a survey a couple of months ago, asked you to to help us think through some things. We got the results of those surveys back about a month ago, and have been working on finding a way to to give you all that information uh, in a digestible format. And so we have a couple things. Uh, Next week, we'll have some things available online. There'll be paper copies in the back, a summary version of that survey. If you just kind of want the one paragraph, one chart, tell me what the whole thing said, um, because you're like me and you just want the big idea, then that's great. But if you're into the details and the numbers and the minutia, and that's you, Jesus loves you. And that's fantastic. Uh, That night, Sunday night, six o'clock to seven o'clock, we want to invite you to come. We all make uh, full copies of the books for you. You'll get more data than You'll probably love it, but you'll get more data than I could ever digest, and uh, we'll, we'll show you every single thing that came out on that survey, and that could be a good conversation as well. So that's Sunday at 6. We'd ask you to uh, also let us know that you're coming to that and go online. Uh, honestly, if you're going to go talk to Jason in the cage, just tell him you're coming. He'll tell me. Um, and, uh, and that way, uh, we can make sure we have enough books made for you. It's kind of a little hefty book of all the data there, so we want to be sure we have plenty of those. So Saturday, Sunday, all kinds of stuff happening, good stuff. Can we talk about the Bible? Oh, good. I'm so happy that you said that because we're going to do that anyway. So it's just good that we're on the same page. Acts chapter 17 is where we're going to be this morning. We have we've kind of finished a series called Bold. You see that on the wall. And from that, which is, which is really the first uh, 10, 12 chapters of Acts from that, we've kind of launched a mini series because we want to finish the book of Acts. And, and in the beginning of Acts, that first half to two thirds, we really saw the church as this bold movement that God chose to use to really transform the world, transform uh, the rest of, uh, of time and history. And so these people were bold. They lived in bold ways. They accomplished bold things as God moved through them. 
And, and, and kind of the, the conclusion of Acts could really be wrapped up in the word sent. Because the last chapters of Acts, we see this intentional, uh, driven uh, situation going on where these, these, these new, bold believers are feeling sent because God's got a mission for them to do. So we've, we've kind of titled this sent. We've said living the mission of God. We've kind of finished that idea of living the mission of God means pursuing God's plan and not ours. That's kind of what we want to talk about this morning as we look in Acts 17. Uh, can I start by telling you a story? I do want to tell you a story to start with, because uh, I've told some of you this story, but not everybody, of how I got into being a pastor. It was not on my radar when I was a kid. I, I was in uh, eighth grade. I mean, I did other things before that, but let's just tra- fast forward to eighth grade. I was in eighth grade, and frankly, eighth graders, as an eighth grade boy, all I was trying to figure out was how to not have to shower after gym class. Because in my school, they had like, it was weird. I don't even know if it's legal anymore, but they had like the one pole shower thing, you know? It's just you and a I'm just trying to figure out how, that's my whole eighth grade mindset is how do I figure out how to not shower after gym class? That's all I'm thinking about. And so I'm in eighth grade, and uh, one day they have this assembly at school, and this, um, this very cool, I can't tell, I don't know how to describe cool, but it was cool, this very cool group of like, good-looking, athletic types show up to the junior high from the high school. They show up to the junior high, and they put on this presentation about who they are. And they are Air Force Junior ROTC. I know. (laughs) the coolest guys on the planet. Junior ROTC, if you don't know what that is, it stands for Reserve Officer Training this is junior, like ROTC is usually a college thing, but this is like before the college ROTC, all pointing towards Air Force life. Well, these guys and gals came and they did this presentation and they talked about guns. Like if you're part of junior ROTC, you get to shoot guns. And I'm an eighth grade boy and I'm like, oh, right. And then, and then they talked about if you're part of junior ROTC, you get to ride on airplanes, I'd never been on an airplane at all. And they're like, you get to, you'll get to fly on airplanes. Like, you'll get on a C-130, which is like a cargo plane. You get to hang out in that. I'm like, oh. And they said, and some junior ROTC kids will get to go in like an F-15 fighter jet. <sighs> junior ROTC was so cool. So I signed up. Like, guns, planes, this is like, you've got to be kidding me. This is a thing. I'm in. I'm so in. So I signed up on my little sheet, and about halfway through, finished eighth grade, halfway through the summer, we, we got our schedules, and I found out my friend, I had conned my friend into doing it too, and so I found out my friend and I both got into junior ROTC. That's Oh, my gosh. I can't even tell. I can remember how excited I was. I think I was doing circles. I was probably dancing. I probably peed myself somewhere in there. So excited about being part of junior Air Force ROTC. First day of freshman year, high school comes. And and I'm I'm looking around because if you're a student and you've experienced recently first day of freshman year, like, you know, that's weird stuff, right? That's a strange day because in junior high, you ruled ruled the school as an eighth grader, right? And then you walk in, and you're this little tiny freshman. You're like, oh, my gosh, it's so big, right? And so I go in as a freshman, and I do some classes, and then I get to my Air Force Junior ROTC class, and I'm like, this is so cool. 
right? Because they started talking about like the science of flight, like how planes lift off the ground and military battles. And I'm like, oh, this is great. It's so awesome. It came, uh, the, the local Air Force, there was an Air Force base out there, Vandenberg Air Force, uh, George Air Force Base, Edwards Air Force Base was out there. And they came and they, the, the, the colonel from there came and taught this class. And I'm like, this is ridiculous. This is just so awesome. And I'm loving it. So about a couple of weeks go by, about a week or so goes by. And so I start asking questions. I'm like, hey, so, so when do the guns come? And he goes, oh, that's, that's great. If you want to hold the guns, you've got to be on the drill team. I said, that's, what's that? And he said, it's guys that march in formation. And I said, oh, okay, well, if I get to hold guns, I'm in. Like, I'll do that. And he said, well, the guns are really cool. They're spray-painted wooden replicas. What? I don't. Do they shoot? No. So I'm in a march in formation with a wooden gun. He goes, it's, it's cool. You'll love it. I go, oh, okay, okay. That's. But the airplane thing. That's still like planes are coming, right? He goes, well, you know, government budget cuts. We can't get you guys on the C-130 this year. And there, there's really no fighter planes for us to use anymore. They the change the rules. We can't get you on those. So yeah, no, you're not going to be able to do that. No guns. No planes. Okay, but the material was still cool. I'm like, you know, science of flight, military battles, all this kind of stuff. A couple weeks go by, and I'm like, I can live with this. This is cool. I'm still headed to the Air Force. My plan, my, my dad had served in the Air Force, and so it was kind of on my radar. And so my plan was junior ROTC, uh, Air Force Academy, and then Air Force. That'll be my plan, and that'll be life, and this will be awesome. So I'll, I'll do this stuff now. I'll really get a hang of what it's like, military life. A couple weeks go by. And they give us this package one day. We show up to class. They give us this package. And this package is a uniform. That uniform right there. And I said, cool. What is this for? And he said, every Wednesday, you're going to wear that uniform. You're going to shine your shoes. And there's going to be an inspection. And your uniform is going to be. It's going to be. Right. And I said, wait, wait, like to class. He said, no, at school. You're going to wear that uniform all day at school. I said, I'm. I'm wearing that taco hat at school. <laughs> you will wear that uniform. You'll wear, you'll wear it well, and you'll wear it right, and you'll wear it proudly. And I said, this is high school, man. Like, really? Seriously? You're wearing, okay, I'll do that. Because the material is cool, and I'm headed for the Air Force, and this is my life. Okay, so I'll wear this uniform every Wednesday to school. So I'm doing that, and about a month goes by, and they go, okay, so here's how we're going to do this. We're going to start passing out, based on uh, grades uh, and attitude, this thing called rank. So based on your grades and your attitude in the program, uh, some kids are going to get a higher rank than other kids. And I said, cool, what, is, like, what does that mean? He says, well, whenever you're in uniform, you will salute every officer of a higher rank. I said, oh, like in the class? He said, no, anywhere. Like in the lunchroom? Yes. Oh. Like what if I go down to the mall and I'm in, and he, yes, you will salute you're serious, aren't you? He didn't have a sense of humor. Colonel Puto was his name. He did not have a sense of humor. He said, yeah, I'm absolutely dead serious. Okay, they gave rank based on grades and, and attitude. The picture up there will blow it up a little bit uh, just to prove that I'm actually in that picture. I don't know if you can see that or not. You see two faces right there, right? The, the guy who's having a, an issue with his tongue, that's my best friend that I, I conned into that program. <clears throat> rank was delivered based on grades, and attitude. My grades were stellar. So I learned all of a sudden that 
I was going to have to salute people. And, and I was in this program and, and there were no guns and there were no planes. And I'm like, what am I doing? And we spent much of our time marching. And, and then this rank thing came out and, and kids my age who, uh, this sounds horrible to say it this way, but it's, I mean, it's just my heart, so it's, if it's wrong, I'm, I apologize, but who I felt like I knew more than and was a better student than, I was supposed to salute these kids, and they're giving me all kinds of guff. They're giving me attitude. They're telling me what to do. This other freshman, I'm a sophomore now. I'm still in junior ROTC. I got freshmen telling me what to do that had lower grades in the class, but their attitudes were different than mine, and I'm supposed to salute them. I'm like, you have got to be kidding me. And I'm going to go into Air Force life? I have like this problem with authority, I think. It's my junior year of high school. My junior year of high school, I didn't take ROTC. I couldn't, I couldn't do it anymore. And so I, I stopped that. I still was still thinking Air Force Academy. I was still thinking Air Force. And um, junior year of high school, I'm not making this up. One day they had like club day on campus where all the clubs came out and tried to recruit people to be part of their club or whatever. And my mom showed up on campus. And she said, you're signing up for a club because you've got to do something. I'm going to sign you up. Oh, geez. That was a great day. I'm still meeting with my therapist for it. She says, um, she goes, hey, there's this cool club. I think that you should be part of it. It was called uh, Las Flores Outdoor Education. And what it was, it was teaching science to fifth and sixth graders in an overnight camping type of environment. I didn't like kids, and I, I didn't like science. And my mom said, this club is for you. And I said, Number one, you're here. Stop. Number two, don't tell me what to do. Problem with the third. And three, I don't, I'm not doing this. I passed by the booth during that lunch period, and in the booth were five people who were, like, hosting that booth and recruiting, and they were all super attractive senior females. And I said, this club is for me. I'm in. And so, and so I signed up to be part of this club, and, uh, and I did. I, I learned how to teach science to fifth and sixth graders in an overnight camp type of uh, environment. And what I learned was that I absolutely loved teaching. And, and I, I mean, I'll be honest, science I, was not my thing. I, I wasn't into it. I didn't really care, but, but I really loved the concept of teaching. End of my junior year, beginning of my senior year, God got attention. I got a hold of my attention, grabbed my heart in a new and fresh way, fell in love with the Bible, fell in love with him all over again, fell in love with the scriptures, and all of a sudden realized that it was a real job. You could get paid to teach people the Bible. I thought, no way. This is ridiculous. I'm in. Sign me up for that. Here's the point. My plan, my plan was to do Air Force. I spent two years in ROTC thinking that's exactly what I'm going to do. And God absolutely wrecked my plan because he had a whole different plan for me. I thought I'm going to be part of a club because and stuff and teaching and cool, whatever. And God used that and even wrecked that plan as I was thinking, maybe I'll teach or something for a living. God wrecked that plan. I, I didn't tell you this part of the story from the beginning. I grew up in church. I grew up in uh, a Lutheran church. I'm not, I'm not saying anything about that. I'm just saying the Lutheran churches that I grew up in um, tended to be kind of really serious. And, and uh, the guys that were up in the front, they wore these big robes. And I always thought that was, as an eighth grader, you know, as a kid, you think that's so, I thought that was so bizarro. And so I just remember thinking back then when I was doing church and youth group and those kinds of things, I was thinking, man, that's got to be the worst job on the planet to be a pastor. <laughs> It's a bunch of boring old men. Fast forward six years, and I'm going out of high school, not aiming towards Air Force, but aiming towards pastor. And I just think God is so funny in how he wrecks 
your plans because he's got a different plan. You know, uh, ultimately, we could all probably share stories like that, right? How God has wrecked your plan. You thought you were doing this, but God wrecked it because he wanted you to do this or maybe this. We could all share those stories. Matter of fact, I hope that's true of us. If, if you have any depth at all to your relationship with Jesus, you've got a story of how he's wrecked your plan at some point. And if, and if you're sitting here this morning and you're saying, no, no, I've always just been my plan. I've always accomplished my plan. Um, t- today's a great day for a, a come to Jesus moment because I, I truly believe that, that, that if you have a depth of relationship with Jesus, he's, he's going to wreck your plans because he's got a plan that he wants you, that he wants us, that he wants me to accomplish. I tell you that whole story because it's, it's funny, but I tell you that to tell you another story that we want to look at today in the book of Acts chapter 17. So if you're there, that's great. If you're not there, would you find that? Because I want you to see this. I I want you to know we're not just making this up. I think this is a great event in the life of Paul. It's actually one of my very favorite events. Um, As as, uh, Pastor Rick Rubel and I were kind of talking about where I would land in this series, I was asking for this because I just think there's so much stuff in here. And I just, I love, I love what Paul does here. We've talked about and we've said, and I think you know that the book of Acts was written by a guy named Luke. Luke was a doctor, so Luke is an incredibly detail-oriented guy. He writes in a, in a way that doctors would write. Uh, he, he pays attention to details that not everybody else would necessarily uh, notice. And so he writes the book of Acts. We're going to be in chapter 17. And if you can find that on an electronic device or the Bible that you brought, or if you don't have a Bible, there are Bibles in the seat back in front of you. That would be great. We're going to start in verse 1. Are you with me? Beautiful. Here we go. Chapter 17, verse 1. It says, Now when they, we're talking about Paul and some of his traveling companions, when they had passed through Amphipolis and Apollonia, they came to Thessalonica where there was a synagogue of the Jews. And Paul went in, as was his custom, And on three Sabbath days, he reasoned with them from the scriptures, explaining and proving that it was necessary for the Christ to suffer and to rise from the dead. Pause there for a second. We'll continue on. Don't fold it up. Just just so that we get our heads in the same place that Paul's typical plan, whenever he went somewhere, was to go into uh, the local synagogue, the Jewish church, and have conversations with them. That would have been a very typical, appropriate, uh, natural thing for him to do. Paul was a religious leader. He was uh, educated. He was Jewish. Uh, It would have been very normal for him to walk into those places and have a conversation with the Jewish uh, leaders, with the Jewish teachers. That's Paul's plan. What we see as we continue to read is that Paul kept, when he would do that, it would, it would cause um, problems. Literally, the city would end up in a riot over the stuff that Paul was saying, because Paul's conversation wrapped around the truth of who Jesus was. And so the city would end up in a riot. Paul's friends would have to, like, underground railroad him out of the city. Matter of fact, there's a story in Acts one time where Paul is let out a window in a basket, I think, down the city wall or something. It's, I get this impression like Paul's friends would throw him on a cart and cover him with a blanket and like rush out at midnight because of all that's going on. So Paul kept getting kicked out of cities because he's going into synagogues to have these conversations. He'd get kicked out of the cities. And so that drops us to verse uh, 15. It says, uh, those who conducted Paul, in other words, like hijacked him out of the cities, brought him as far as Athens. 
And after receiving a command for Silas and Timothy to come to him as soon as possible, they departed. The the ESV, the version that we're using here this morning, it doesn't really give us the sense. Uh, The NIV and some others do give us a sense that not only did they they take him to Athens, but they kind of asked him to just wait. And we'll see that in the next verse. Paul's job was to wait. Uh, they've, they've rescued him from Thessalonica and then Berea in this situation. Now they've dumped him in Athens. And I think they're telling Paul, hey, Paul, I just, just kind of hang out in the hotel room for a couple of weeks. Like, just breathe. In my imagination, it sounds uh, something, something like this. Uh, Paul, seriously, we're all tired. Uh, just hang in the hotel for a few weeks. Let the drama die down. And just wait for the rest of the team to show up. Watch some TV. Get a nap. Just chill out for a few weeks. So Paul's plan normally is to walk into a synagogue and have a conversation. Paul's friend's plan is for Paul to just go and just relax for a few days. Just, just enjoy some downtime. Don't, don't cause any waves. Paul, just, just, just rest a little bit until, until the rest of the team comes and then we'll kind of figure it out from there. Fair enough? Here we go. Jump back into verse 16. It says, Now while Paul was waiting for them, so, so he is doing what he's been asked to do. Waiting for them in Athens, his spirit was provoked within him as he saw that the city was full of idols. So he reasoned in the synagogue with the Jews and the devout persons and in the marketplace every day with those who just happened to be there. So, so Paul, as he's just waiting and, and just chilling and, and taking his morning uh, walk or, or whatever or going down to the, to, the, to the marketplace to grab some lunch, uh, he's... He's bothered. He's walking around. He sees all these idols in the areas, and he's bothered by that. And so what does he do because he's bothered? He, he does the thing that's natural to him. He, he goes into the synagogue and begins to have these conversations with people. Well, as he's walking around the marketplace, he's also having conversations with, like, shop owners and, you know, whoever just happens to be there. I don't know what those conversations were. Maybe it's like, hey, you guys got a lot of, a lot of idols here, huh? And they're like, yeah, okay. You know? He's having conversations with the people that he's running into. The marketplace is kind of a cool situation. Uh, we don't really have a, a Western modern equivalent of that, I, I don't think. S- small towns maybe a little bit more so. Uh, I'm thinking in my head of kind of European towns, if you've ever been to Europe, um, they, they usually have a city center, uh, sometimes called like centrum in Polish, but in other languages called different things. But like a city center where like everybody kind of congregates. So like Friday night, if you want to see your friends, you just go down to the city center, the marketplace, because that's where everybody's going to be. And there's usually some food vendors there and some shops and a bunch of stuff. But that's kind of that, like the hangout for the city. And so that's where Paul's going. Paul is hanging out in that place. He's having conversations in the synagogue. He's having conversations with people in the marketplace. And we get to verse 18. It says, Some of the Epicurean and Stoic philosophers also conversed with him. And some said, What does this babbler wish to say? But others said, He seems to be preaching a foreign divinity because he was preaching Jesus and the resurrection. And they took him and they brought him to the Areopagus saying, may we know what this new teaching is that you are presenting, for you bring some strange things to our ears, and we wish to know, therefore, what these things mean. Now, all the Athenians and the foreigners who live there would spend their time in nothing except telling or hearing something new. It, it just, this is a side, but it's kind of funny, that last little sentence there, Luke, Luke's a doctor. You get a sense of Luke's um, feelings towards the, the, 
the Athenians, the folks who live in Athens at that point. Luke like throws this little barb out there, this little jab, like they don't do anything all day except sit around and gossip. Like that's kind of funny to me that that would even be in the Bible. Okay, none of that matters. Here we go. So so these these groups of philosophers show up while Paul is having these conversations, and it, it mentions too Epicurean and Stoic, and it's not vital that we like know who those guys are. Epicureans, suffice it to say, are all about pleasure in life. They think the greatest goal in life is pleasure. Anything that would keep you from experiencing pleasure, you should just get rid of. So we want to avoid pain. We want to avoid fear. We want to avoid any kind of like passion or like getting too wrapped up or amped up about anything because life's greatest goal is about pursuing pleasure. We have nothing in our culture today like that, right? There's a lot of things in our culture like that today like that. That's the Epicureans. The Stoics were on the other side of the fence. The Stoics were the ones that said uh, life is all about uh, thinking and thought and, and rational thinking and logic. And maybe we put science in there. Like that's what life is about. Feelings and emotions and, and, and mystery. That stuff doesn't matter. That's not important. Really, it's all about logic and rational thought. Lots of things in our culture today that would reflect that as well. You've, you've got these two groups of people that show up to engage in conversation with Paul. The one thing they had in common, though, is that they were both, both Stoics and Epicureans, were very okay having lots of gods. Very okay in, in uh, polytheism or, or however you want to describe that, having lots of different gods. They're very fine with that, as long as they didn't interfere with your pleasure. Or they didn't, you know, get you too wrapped up about it. Like, you're not too into a God where you can't, like, you know, you're just too wrapped up about that. Don't get too passionate about that. So they're very okay having lots of different gods. So this is the group that comes to Paul. And they begin continuing conversation. They, they talk some more, talk some more. And somewhere in there they say, hey, Paul, what you're saying is new or interesting or weird. And we want to invite you to this place called the Areopagus and, and hear you out a little more on this. Folks, remember, Paul is supposed to be hanging out in the hotel room. That's Paul's friend's plan. Just, just lay low, rest, hang out in the hotel room. Paul's plan is to probably go in the synagogue because he's bothered by the idols he sees. Go in the synagogue and have some conversations. Now he's being invited to come to the place where, like, most city business would have happened. Matter of fact, the Areopagus would have been the place of, like, civil trials, court cases. Um, I, I read this week that the death penalty cases were often heard in the Areopagus. It's where some of the most intellectual, influential leaders in, in that town, city area would have congregated. And they say, Paul, we want you to come to that place and talk more about this. Well... God seems to be wrecking plans here, doesn't he? And so Paul agrees, and Paul goes, and that takes us to verse 22. So Paul, standing in the midst of the Areopagus, says, Men of Athens, I perceive that in every way you are very religious. For as I passed along and observed the objects of your worship, I found also an altar with this inscription, To the unknown God. What therefore you worship is unknown, that's what I want to proclaim to you. So, so Paul starts by, by, in a lot of ways, affirming this culture's like, pursuit. Like, like, guys, I walked around and I saw you guys are very religious. That's so cool. You're pursuing God's cool. Matter of fact, I noticed that on this one idol, you had like a just in case we forgot one title there. Like, to the unknown God, just in case. And that's so cool, you guys, because... I know that God, 
And I want to tell you about that God. And that God is the God of all gods. Matter of fact, this God makes gods that you think you know look like puny little chunks of metal. Let me tell you about this God. Paul uses the culture and what he knew of it and his roaming around time where he's supposed to be just hanging out in a hotel room to engage in this conversation. And this is what he says uh, specifically, verse 24. So this God, this is the God who made the world and everything in it. Being Lord of heaven and earth does not live in temples made by man, nor is he served by human hands as though he needed anything since he himself gives, us, uh, gives to all mankind life and breath and everything. And he made from one man every nation of mankind to live on all the face of the earth, having determined allotted periods and the boundaries of their dwelling place, that they should seek God in the hope that they might feel their way toward him and find him. Yet he is actually not far from each one of us. For in him we live and move and have our being. As even some of your own poets have said, for we are indeed his offspring. Being then God's offspring, we ought not to think that the divine being is like gold or silver or stone or an image formed by the art and imagination of man. The times of ignorance God overlooked. But now he commands all people everywhere to repent because he has fixed a day on which he will judge the world in righteousness by a man whom he has appointed. And of this he has given assurance to all by raising him from the dead. Paul takes this, this gospel, this reality of a, of a risen Jesus, and he wraps it up in a language that they could understand. He says, I recognize that you guys are religious. Well, I want to tell you about the God that you're missing. And he goes on to describe who Jesus is and, and what God has done and the ability to have a relationship and the importance of repentance and, and who we are in terms of a relationship with him in language they would get. Matter of fact, he uses cultural entertainment of the day to do that. You, you see this little section, right? I think in your Bible it does it the same as mine where it like insets it and puts a quote around it. It's the two phrases. It says, in him we live and move and have our being. And then a line later it says, for, for we indeed are his offspring. That was two Greek poets of the day. They're like famous Greek poets, like everybody would have known their stuff. Like when you started quoting it, it had been like, oh, I know Taylor Swift. Right? I mean, it's like stuff that would have been playing on the radio if they had radio. Common stuff. Uh, Epimenides and Aratus are their names, and, and both of them were Greek poets. They wrote poems mostly in honor, and, and these two poems in particular were in honor of Zeus, which is interesting. They're not talking about the God of the Bible. They're not talking about Jehovah God. They're not talking about Jesus. They're talking about Zeus. And yet Paul uses their own popular entertainment culture literature to say even you guys get that we all have this god-shaped hole inside of us like you see that even your own poets talk about being his offspring so let me tell you about this god like you're you're hungry for him you're hungry you're searching you're interested you're driven you're religious but you're you're just you're just he's unknown to you let me let me make him known. Paul uses the contemporary culture, the, the stuff that would have been understood and known and, and even entertaining people. He uses that to wrap up the story of the gospel. Let me just say a couple of things that I think are kind of obvious, but I, I just want to say to be sure that we're on the same page with the three things. Uh, pa Paul was very familiar with the local culture. 
Athens is the city he's in, Athens. He's very familiar with that local culture. He knows where the marketplace is. Uh, he knew where people would be. He got a sense of the idols that were there. He was ready to have that conversation. He had walked around. He's very familiar with the local culture. Second thing, super obvious. I know you saw it already. Paul was very familiar with the larger culture, the Greek culture. I mean, he knew the entertainment. He knew the poets of the day. And Paul had that memorized it wasn't like Paul pulled out his iPod and had to find that song. Like He had that memorized. He just quoted it back to them. Paul was very familiar with the larger culture. And then the third thing is Paul had thought through already how to connect the values of, of their culture to the values of God's. And figure out how to bridge those things together. Paul seemed to be a student of the culture. And if you, if you know stuff of the Greek culture, it wasn't like a, a, a nice, pretty... Like it fits well with Christian philosophy type culture. It was a very dangerous, vile, sinful culture to Christian thought. And yet Paul understands this culture and engaged with it, had tasted it, smelled it, operated in it, spent time in it to figure out how to inject himself into not only that culture, but to share that with the people who are living in that culture. Okay, let's talk about about you for a second, us, me, you, we. Let's talk about us for a second. Because at this point, there, there probably should be a, a, a question. You should be thinking something in your, in your brain. Uh, the, and it should be probably a little bit problematic. Probably you're, you're thinking something like, well, well wait a minute. I, I thought we were supposed to be like unstained by the culture. Like, like you're saying Paul was like, he understood the culture and he engaged with the culture and he used it to talk about Jesus. I thought we were supposed to be like unstained from the culture. Like, we want to be careful to not, like, you know, get influenced by the culture. Like, as Christ followers, aren't we supposed to kind of stay away from culture? And, it, and it's usually uh, verses. Uh, we, we might go to, like, uh, John chapter 17. We'll, we'll just put it up on the screen so you can see it there to, to try and figure this out. Where, where Jesus, as he's praying for his guys right before he leaves the planet physically, and he's not going to be with them in a physical way anymore, he prays for them. And he says, my prayer is not that you take them out of the world, but that you protect him from the evil one. They are not of the world, even as I am not of it. As you have sent me into the world, I have sent them into the world. So from verses like this, we usually um, have constructed a phrase, maybe you've heard this before, where people say, well, we are uh, in, but not of the culture. We're in, but not of. Meaning, we know we live in the culture. We know this is kind of our situation until Jesus takes us home to be with him if we're Christ followers. We know we're in the culture. It's part of the reality. We're just not of it, meaning it doesn't own us or it's, it's not a part of us or it doesn't influence us or whatever. We're in it, but not of it. And that's not a bad way to look at it. That's not a bad phrase. Um, it, it's, it's okay. It's good. But I, I think it's not great. Because what that phrase, that idea of in, not of, what it doesn't do is it doesn't have a sense of purpose behind it. Just say we're in the culture, but not of it. It, it, it misses a sense of purpose. There's a, um, a pastor, uh, author, his name is John Piper, and he advocates changing this phrase, and I, I kind of agree with him. He advocates for a phrase that's slightly different. His phrase is this phrase of uh, not of, but sent into. Not of, but sent into. I, I like this because it has the concept of purpose. Like we're not of the culture, 
We are not exactly like the culture that is around us. But we are sent into that culture for a purpose. We said over these last few weeks, we're talking about this idea of living the mission of God, which means pursuing God's plans, not ours. Because we are sent into the culture for a purpose. We're not just in it, but we're sent into for a purpose. God has a plan for us to to redeem this culture for Christ. So the, the question then, and the question this morning, and maybe the point of all of this, is this question right here. Where are you, where are we, being intentional in our culture to talk about the reality of a risen Jesus? Where are you being intentional in your culture to talk about the reality of a risen Jesus? I've not said anything new this morning. I've not said anything that's going to like, oh my gosh, I never heard that before. I don't, I don't think. Maybe that's true. But the danger is always when we begin to talk like this, we, we tune out, we check out. We go, yeah, I know that, I know that. I, I work at a place and I, I talk to those people about Jesus sometimes. I've worked there 20 years and they know that I'm a Christian. They know I go to church. And I, and I want to really focus us in on the word intentional. Where, where are we? Where are you being intentional in your culture to talk about the reality of a risen Jesus? It's more than just the idea of not of. It's very much the idea of about being intentionally sent to. Uh, last week, uh, Pastor Rick made a comment about how uh, our faith shouldn't be a private thing. And I agree with that wholeheartedly. Matter of fact, I would say if you have a relationship with Jesus, it, it just by nature can't be a private thing because we're sent into the culture. We have, there's a purpose for us being here. In some respects, when you entered into a relationship with Jesus, God could have taken you home right that minute. And in some ways, I don't know, maybe that would have been easier, right? You, you, you pray, you, you, Jesus, be part of my life, and that's it, you're gone, right? But there's a reason that he's left us here. And it's not just to bide time. It's not just to live life and raise children and and, and have fun and do the things that we do or whatever. It's not to complain about politics or my life or my shoe size or whatever. There's a purpose that you're sent into the culture that you're in. And that's the question when we say this idea of living on mission, living God's mission. It means pursuing his plan for us and not ours. So Paul's buddies, their plan was for Paul to just hang out for a few days and rest. Paul's plan was to go into the synagogue and have some conversation with some Jewish people. And God completely wrecked their plans because he had a very different plan for him. I'll let you read the rest of that story in Acts 17 on your own. You can finish that and see what happened there. Quite honestly, if I could just be frank, I'm really disappointed that Luke didn't give more details at the end because it ends and I'll just let you figure that out. But I like, I want to know more. Like I got to know more of what happened. Luke finishes it in like 12 words or something. It's like, ah, there had to have been more that happened. It just doesn't get written down. But that story ends and Paul's world is wrecked in a very cool way, in a great way. And then it continues on as God continues to have plans for Paul and he pursues those. Uh, I started this morning by telling you a story about pursuing Air Force life, guns, and fast vehicles was what I was thinking. God completely wrecked that plan for me. And um, it's very cool because uh, I've been a, been a pastor for a couple of decades, love it. But um, a year ago, uh, God dropped me in a new culture and said, I, I want you to walk around in this culture for a while. It wasn't a culture that I was planning to be part of. Um, it wasn't something that I have really a lot of experience with, but had the opportunity to connect uh, with uh, DeWitt Township Police and Fire Department as their chaplain. 
And so um, uh, if, if I'm, just, I'm just frank, I knew some chaplains back in California. It's a weird word, and they were kind of weird guys, and I was like, eh. And so this opportunity dropped in. I'm, I'm, in, a, I'm in a culture, and if, I know we have some, some active or reserved uh, police officers here. We, we have some active uh, or retired um, firefighters here as, as well. And, and I know you guys would agree with me that uh, police and fire culture is very different than any other culture. It's, it's its own subculture. And I'm, I'm just considered a privilege to be walking around in this culture with these officers and firefighters going, hey, how do I take what's valuable to them and connect that with what's valuable to God? What a, what a cool thing to do. You know, you know, maybe you're in that culture, or maybe, maybe you're in a different culture. I, I don't know. Not just American culture, but I'm thinking of, like, if you're in that marathoning culture. You know the marathoners? We, we, we did a marathon once. It was a, totally blew our, our brains apart when we showed up to get our bib number the day before. I, if you've ever done this, you know what I'm talking about. And, and we watched those people come together, and I'm like, man, this is a whole subculture that I know nothing about. Or maybe you're an old-school 80s rocker. I don't know if you were born in the 80s, right? And that's your culture that you were, you're part of and you're still part of an 80s cover tune rock band. That's a whole culture in and of itself. You, you see where I'm going with this? Like, what culture are you connected into? Maybe it's a, a quilting culture. You're hanging with the quilters. And I don't know anything about that. Quilting it up or whatever. Scrapbooking. Maybe it's cooking. Maybe, it, maybe it's an ethnic culture that you're connected to. The question is, how are we being intentional to engage in the culture that we're in to talk about the reality of a risen Jesus? See, we're not just here to buy time. We're not just here. We're not, we're not a not of. We are sent into. You know, I tell students all the time. I see some of you guys. I, I tell students all the time, you have the coolest opportunity right now in the culture that you're in. Teen culture, is a, is a, it's its own culture. It's your own language and your own music and your own style and your own try. You got everything. And you know what's cool is that you spend eight hours a day, six hours a day, four hours of those awake and alert, uh, uh, engaging with that culture. That's cool. How do you take and have conversations in that culture, connecting the reality of a risen Jesus to the things that they value in that culture? Some of you guys, you know, your your past teen years, your teens are grown and out, and they got their own teens at this point, and you're living the empty nest life, or you're living the senior, I don't even know what we call it these days, citizen life, or, and that's a culture in of itself. I go to McDonald's, I, I got to be careful here, we go to McDonald's in town, and uh, and there is a group of uh, older gentlemen that meet there, I think it's every day, I don't know, for, for a lot of hours, and that's a culture, that's a culture in of itself, and you think, like, like, who can be intentional about investing time into that culture to connect the things that that culture values with the things that Jesus values? Does this make sense, what I'm saying? I think this whole idea of being sent, living the mission of God, is all about pursuing God's plan, not mine, in the culture that he sends us into. I'm going to pray so we can go. Jesus, thanks for today. Um, I don't know. I don't know if I make sense, God. I'm just, I'm just convinced more than ever that you have sent us into different cultures for the purpose of, of being salt and light. Sent us into cultures for the reality of talking about who you are, sharing our love for you in a culture that may be missing you. So God, I pray for me, I pray for my friends here, that you would help us to be a little like Paul 
that as we walk around in the culture that we're in, that we would notice how those things could connect with you. And you would help us to be bold when we talk about those things, when we engage in those things. Recognize we're not of the world. We're not to be exactly like. But God, help us to be intentional and purposeful in our scent in this. God, help us to be that this week. We might even leave here with fresh eyes in the cultures that you send us to. We might be looking for ways to talk about a great love for you and your great love for us. Jesus, give us that opportunity this week. What a blessing for us. I love you. Amen. North Point, have a great week. We will